This is episode 87 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 87 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have an awesome guest. Ken Parkin came on the show, and Ken is a Burlington investor that does general contracting and high-end flips. So he flips homes in the seven, dollars $800,000 range, and he does it for a minimum profit of $100,000. Now, this is something we get into later in the episode because this episode is just jam-packed with lots of different stuff. We talk about the Toronto market, our predictions for what's going to happen, uh, for what I believe will be a, a very large exodus in the condo market and a drop in the condo market's values. I have no crystal ball. I'm just giving my opinions. And just a reminder, this is all just opinions. Uh, no one knows for sure because no one can predict what our political leaders will do. And of course, several of the naturally occurring market forces. We can't predict it. Uh, Ken's also very, very well educated on the current uh, market, current politics. And he gets into some of his opinions about the lockdown and the effects that it's going to have. Uh, we have an open and candid discussion about that. Uh, I believe that history will judge this generation on our ability to discuss difficult and sensitive topics. So I want to go ahead and throw this out there ahead of time. Both Ken and I give political opinions here. Uh, you do not by any means need to agree with them. Our main goal and my main goal, I can speak for myself here, is that I want everyone listening and watching this to think for yourselves, form your own opinion based on the facts, based on what you can see, based on using reason and logic. And if you end up somewhere differing from our opinion, that's great. Fantastic. I love to learn and grow. So if I'm wrong about something, I always want to know. Uh, regarding the C-19 current lockdown situation, I know many have been up- impacted by this and uh, it is obviously a sensitive topic. So I'm by no means trying to diminish anything. Uh, as I've said, and you may have heard me say this before, I believe that most of us are good people and we really genuinely do want what's best for humanity and it's going to result in the, the absolute best outcome for the most people. We might just disagree how to get there. There's obviously going to be some difficult decisions that need to be made. And it's no secret if you follow this podcast that I disagree with some of the things that our politicians have done because it's all about end game to me. So not to get on too much of a rant just yet. I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this episode. I love getting into the weeds about economics and how that affects the real estate market. And I hope if you're an enthusiast of this podcast, you'll enjoy that too. So without further ado, I want to go ahead and get to today's interview with Ken Parkin. Really great guy, really knowledgeable. Give him a follow, give him a listen. Without further ado, here we go. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Ken Parkin on the show. Ken, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Ken, we randomly stumbled across each other on Facebook and... Uh, <laughs> I've been following your updates. So most notably, you're very in tune with what's going on. Uh, seem to to know the economy uh, well-read when it comes uh, comes to the current lockdown situation. And I really value your opinion. So I know we're going to dig into some of that. But uh, along the way, I've learned you do a bunch of other stuff, including real estate investing. So why don't you give us the spiel of uh, what it is that you do? Yeah, yeah, no. So uh, I'm coming up on my 12th, 13th year now in uh, real estate as an agent. Um, I also have had a construction company for that period of time as well. It's gone through various iterations as we grow uh, and have grown. And then um, I've been in and out of real estate investing for the entire period as well. Um, most notably buying student rentals when I was 18 and uh, going through that whole journey, which was uh, an amazing experience, a lot to learn, um, but very simple investing. And then um, 
more recently in the last few years and iterations of investing, getting into more um, buying, fixing, and selling properties, flipping properties. Yeah. Are you not holding properties anymore? Nope. I'm fully... Um, about three years ago, I basically divested myself of all of my assets specifically to sit on cash because I thought three years ago, we were going to start to see a decline in certain markets where I was able to deploy uh, resources. Um, some of the decisions I made were great because I got out of the top end of some markets. And then some of the decisions I could have made another 100, 200K on some of yeah. those. So yeah, the last three years have been uh, quite the boom in this area. We're in Burlington. You, you live in Burlington. I'm as in well. Burlington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So were you investing here? Is that yeah? So you know, I've still caught the market trends because um, still buying and fixing, uh, flipping properties. So buy and flip. You buy and flips. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know the latest, uh, and actually, it's some some of the things I wanted to talk to you today about too was um, basically you know buying, fixing up. Um, potentially renting it out and refinancing. Um, yeah, the burr, the burr, right? <laughs> yeah. So we talk about that a lot on this show. Yeah, yeah. I've seen some. I've seen some shows. So I haven't done that uh, specifically. That's a bit of a, that's a bit of a lie. I've actually done that with some student rentals, but that's going back. Yeah, you know, a while ago. So you you weren't digging on the managing of uh, student rentals. Decided not to. Well, in Hamilton specifically, they started changing the bylaws about uh, eight or nine years ago with regards to student rentals. Oh, really? Um, specifically, the fire code. And a lot of uh, investors, I don't think, realize that if you have a fire in your property, there's catastrophic consequences uh, if it's student rentals. Um, specifically, because student rentals technically really aren't legal per se there's there if you're if it's not set up properly meaning a smoke detector in each room carbon monoxide detector in each room specifically the fire code um and i would venture to say a majority of them probably aren't mainly because they've been around for so long and so until they trade hands and if there is any permits pulled to get work done which a majority of the time there isn't we don't really know you don't really know what's going on there so the liability aspect. So you're just worried about insurance liability kind of thing? Insurance liability is one of the things, but um, with student rentals in particular, McMaster had started a push to uh, get more into, and hindsight now is actually really good with COVID because a lot of students aren't coming this year to, to schools. Who would have known? And so obviously that's now looking back, but... Um, yeah, there, there was just a lot of things happening at the city level with regards to them trying to clamp down, mainly because there's a couple of fires in the years mm -hmm. that I was making these right. decisions. So, yeah. Yeah. And I've noticed uh, Hamilton has some funny bylaws just in general, like looking at some of the zoning in the student areas. I've, I've examined a couple, you know, I considered buying down there and um, they would have things like that would say no more than three occupants. Your zoning would say no more than three occupants. And I'm like, well, first off, how could they ever... <laughs> How could they ever track that? But, you know, you would assume that that would just mean no more than three bedrooms, mm -hmm. um, you know, something along those lines. So which made me feel uncomfortable knowing that pretty well every property that's being operated as a student rental in at least the zone I was looking at was illegal. Technically, there are five bed, six bed, you know. Sure. So maybe there was no enforcement. And, and Hamilton kind of strikes me as a low enforcement uh, yeah. type of market where they're not really uh, they're not really restricting people that much. How, if you had to guess, how many rentals in Hamilton do not conform with zoning? I would say 80%, 80 plus. 80%? You think? I was going to say like 50%, but yeah, no, 80%. I do. I, I really do that. And the reason is, is if you don't pull permits on properties, the city has no clue what you're doing. 
Right. Uh, and a majority of the properties in mm-hmm. Hamilton, I would venture to say, don't pull permits when they're renovating a basement and converting or, um, you know, doing a full conversion. Now, if you're uh, the city, the other main reason why I kind of got out of it was because of how crazy the restrictions were coming into that area. So while it may be low enforcement the day to day, the actual permitting, once you start doing it properly and legally, mm-hmm. was getting really crazy and making it not inexpensive, not, not too expensive, but it was getting to a point where you're kind of going like, if they're going to go to one extent, how much further is it going to go? Um, and I'm talking seven, eight years ago now. So obviously things are ebb and mm-hmm. flow with that. Um, I think there's a massive opportunity still in Hamilton. You do? A hundred percent. I think Hamilton, in my opinion, is probably one of the most underpriced uh, cities in Canada, uh, specifically because when we look at how close we are to Toronto, we look at how many people are trying to get out of Toronto, Yeah, specifically due to real estate costs and inflation. When you look at what's happening in Hamilton, um, a majority of the city is still under, not underdeveloped because there's lots of homes and uh, places there, but there's, a lot of them are, are old and a lot of, there's just a lot of opportunity to buy properties that need some work and either convert to have a basement um, rental or fix it up on yourself. Well, I see, because, you know, a lot of it's just because of the groups that I'm in and we have the Greater Hamilton REI Meetup uh, group, which just so many people who are local investors and they're doing these legal conversions. So Mm -hmm. they're converting. A lot of it's on the mountain because a lot of the stuff uh, that's downtown or on, you know, in the East End, like they're just small little houses. You're not going to be able to fit a basement apartment. They're not big enough. Yeah. Um, but uh, there are a lot of people doing it. And then I would suspect, yeah, the, the rest of them are, are sort of illegal. And who knows, maybe the bylaws are going to adapt. That's kind of what I think. And I, I don't know for sure is, are they going to adapt? Yeah. Like, when are we going to see um, Hamilton's bylaws come, uh, come along? Because I feel like they're a little bit outdated. Yep. They, they're, they don't really adjust. There's only like five major zones. Sure. And so it might say you need to have a 25 foot frontage. So one whole street block could be 25 foot frontage required but then when you actually look at the houses they're all 20 foot frontage and you're like well this is entirely inappropriate i couldn't rebuild on any of these lots um and and i've you know from what i hear their their minor variants like process is pretty pretty slick like a lot of people apply for them because they know the zoning is sort of out of date in hamilton for sure um but yeah again thing i don't like is if i don't conform with zoning and i've you know done something that that's technically improper it's kind of a ticking time bomb to me and i don't know if if you see it the same way i know you're not you're not sitting on rental properties right now, but I don't want to get that cease and desist. Uh, you, you can know or a compliance order uh, yeah. from from the city. That's just not something I want to go down. No, and I think I think real estate investing wasn't as sexy 10, 15, 20 years ago. Not that it wasn't happening because it was significantly, but there are so many. Uh, when you look at the growth of like HGTV, you look at what we're doing right now. Yeah, right? Um, there was none of this happening 10, 12, 20 years ago. Uh, it, if it was happening, it was happening in a coffee shop and two people just talking or a small network uh, meetup. But now with the emergence of um, obviously the internet and, and TV and how, how explosive specifically investing is, um, I think a lot of people are looking at it as a, an ulterior means of, of um, setting aside money and, and passively having some income where it wasn't as sexy as it was or as it is now a long time ago. So. Um, I think Hamilton's one city. I think there's a lot of opportunity mm. really 
outside of Toronto and there's still opportunity in Toronto. So I'm not knocking Toronto, but Toronto well, I think Toronto's going to be a big opportunity real soon. Yeah. And, and there's something I kind of want to discuss with you. Uh, we can jump into that, but I think, so Toronto's going to have a great opportunity, but I think there's a lot of people are also looking to get outside of Toronto. And I think from trying to really nail down what's happening with commercial real estate uh, and if you know, our company is going to come back the way they were. Does TD, as an example, bank need to have, you know, 2000 people in an office tower downtown Toronto? I don't know. I, I don't, I can't see why they would. They may only need to have a quarter of that staff. And so if that's the case, uh, that's going to have a major impact on so many yeah. different levels, right? Oh, yeah. um, we my, should dig into that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, but my, my one question, and I kind of want to pose this, and I think it's something that's an interesting topic is specifically on Airbnb. And how I feel it's going to, um, well, Toronto's basically made it an outlaw. Well, there's the perfect storm. There's the perfect storm in Toronto right now. And I know you, you actually have had a post on this, and I think it's really relevant. So for anyone listening, I, I don't know if you randomly yeah. accept friends or if they can just follow you yep. on Facebook. But uh, Ken often posts really, really good pieces, uh, news articles that he's found um, with a few comments as to what this means. And Airbnb being pretty much outlawed, as you've said, it can only be done on your primary residence and for X number of days a year. Uh, more or less, you know, we're taking thousands, tens of thousands of units, and we're going to dump them now into the rental pool. So what Toronto saw, especially with, with the initial lockdown, yep. Airbnb kind of died anyway. Sure. So we saw a bunch of condos dumped into the rental pool. So all of a sudden, rental rates went, you know, my wife's condo. Uh, went down from originally four thousand and thirty seven hundred. Um, she was getting rental offers around twenty eight hundred. So right towards the end, there it was closer to three thousand. But she just sold it, so we're good. Yep. But uh, anyways, oversupply of rentals means price gets driven down. Right? It's supply and demand. You get too much supply, the, the equilibrium price falls. Uh, what happens when those people realize they can't make their mortgage payment with the rent they're receiving? They start listing. Um, what we're seeing in Toronto now is an, a, a huge surplus of condos listed. And um, then you add in the factors. We add in the factors that downsizing offices. Yep. So now we're going to have commercial space turn retail. So, so some of these business uh, businesses like TD are going to say, well, you know what? We don't need that 3,000 square feet. Let's convert that into residential units. Or you know, we'll see if, if that is an option within certain buildings. You're going to have that. Um, we have the exodus from the people who locked down. And those people no longer feel uh, like they want to be in a box just in case we have another lockdown. So they're like, let's get out of the city. Let's get some yard. Plus, by the way, our employer now says it's okay to work from home. So we don't need to be in the city. Right. So like I said, perfect storm. There's all these things that are combining to say, you know what? There's just not as much need to buy condos downtown. Um, Add that to the oversupply. And I think that we're in for a historic drop in condo prices. I don't think we're going to see it in the other types of, of buildings in Toronto as much. Um, and I hope I'm wrong. Like I'm not, I'm not betting to be right here. Uh, but I pay attention to the market forces, the, the things that affect supply and demand. And uh, from what I see, it's not good. Uh, and this is what I said to Jordan, my wife. I just told her, I'm like, I don't like the looks of this. And I told her everything I just told you. I'm like, tell me I'm wrong. And I say that to everybody. I'm like, tell me I'm wrong. Ken, if I'm wrong, tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you think I am or if there's something you want to add to that, but uh, I just said, you know what, we, we need to sell this because I think it yeah. could get worse. I, I agree with you. I, th- I think you probably got, and this is, I mean, you know, it's, it's tough. You, should, you never should try to time the market, right? Because, nope. uh, you know, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. 
Um, if you need to pull out money or if you have an opinion like you're talking about where you think the market price could go down because of the factors you just talked about, I think it 1000% makes sense. Um, I think, I think you're right with everything you just said. I also think that we are, my personal opinion is, is that we're walking into a second potential lockdown with COVID. Um, the government is pulling back restrictions or, or is adding restrictions, pulling back freedoms, basically, in certain areas, Toronto, Ottawa, Peel. They're starting to, to peel back the freedoms that, you know, gathering sizes, all that stuff. So if we start to spiral out of control with, uh, with COVID again, in terms of to the point of they're going to do a full lockdown, it doesn't really matter what, ha- what happens in Toronto with the condo market. I think every single piece of real estate is going to be impacted in some sort of way. If you're in a buy and hold, it's not going to matter. The market can go up and down 15% either way. Right. Who cares? But you're talking, so Toronto proper, every single piece of real estate is going to be affected. I'm talking, yeah, Toronto proper, but I'm also talking the GTA. I really, truly believe uh, looking at what a lot of these real estate prices have been, uh, specifically in Oakville, Burlington, Mississauga, um, anything over a million dollars and probably 1.5 in Oakville, is it has a chance of having a half decent significant haircut. I really truly believe that. I think people, if we go into a second lockdown and companies are going, we can't pay the bills anymore. Like they barely got through the first one. Um, to go through a second one and depend on how long and there's so many factors. There's there's potential to to get into territory that you know we're pushing a 2000 kind of eight ish. Uh, prices up here in my opinion specifically when it comes to like if we do fully shut down i think it's avoidable but well i mean like you said there are a lot of variables like i personally think our government's shown no signs of allowing people to um to not be able to pay their bills um you know government debt is is clearly an option right so um what we saw in this first lockdown is we saw toronto sort of stall and you know even like burlington stalled for maybe a couple of weeks but then all of a sudden it picked up and heated up again and hamilton heated up and and uh now we're seeing really an incredible uh boom period and uh how you know it's it's a you know it's a bull market and and who knows when that that comes to an end i'm not sure that it does though like we, you know you even posted on on the price of lumber and, and here's my main argument against it is governments aren't going to let people fall i don't think no crystal ball here but if they don't let the market crash, if they don't let that people just all go bankrupt and they keep the mortgage deferrals going and they let people keep racking up debt, I don't know where that ends. This is unprecedented. I don't think it ends well. But if we're just talking about the real estate market, um, I think there's a very good chance that they prop this up for a very long time. Now, uh, of course, the, car, the house of cards comes crashing down at some point. But just look at cost of construction. To $8 for a two by four? In 2015, I could buy a two by four by eight for like $1.85 plus tax. Now it's over $8 with tax. How the heck are we supposed to keep going in this business if cost of construction, which really ultimately means the cost of a new home, uh, goes up so much because the cost of a new home drives the cost of a resale home? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, and I think, you know, it, like you say, there's no crystal ball and everything is 100% speculation, but it's sort of educated speculation based on past trends, based on kind of yeah. what's currently happening, right? I agree with everything you're saying. And I think that um, 
you know, as someone who's in the construction business, I, I'm seeing the trend of people now starting to specifically that interest rates are like at record lows, yeah. and I don't think are going to go up. I think the main oh, they can't, they can't go, they up. can't go up, obviously. But I think one of the main economic drivers is the fact that money is extremely cheap. Yeah. And so whether or not people are refinancing and investing, refinancing and uh, rehabbing their house, whatever they're doing, uh, or selling their house because they've, you know, they've made another three, four $400,000 since they bought it five years ago, um, there's a lot of things pumping our real estate market. And I think the other thing we have to consider too is, is that we're in a perfect storm of people that are um, 25 to 35 that are buying their first home. There's people that are 35 to 50 who have bought a home and want to upsell. And then there's people that are downsizing. It's all happening at the same time right now. And to top it off, the people who are downsizing, their parents are at an age where they're starting to pass away. They're getting old, right? And so there's some inheritance money coming in. Um, so there's a lot of economic factors here that is not specifically government related that are keeping the market going. That now. are keeping the market going. Yeah. yeah. And those could change, in fairness. They could. And then to throw it on top, yeah. immigration. Yeah, immigration's a an important one to consider there, um, and and yeah, it's more or less stalled right now. Uh, but just just to go back to what you said before, because we don't have that crystal ball, and you you also mentioned time horizon. What is it that that you know you're looking to do? How soon? Um, for me, like I looked at that Toronto market, and I looked at the situation that we were in. And I knew that we weren't ready to hold that property for 10, 20 years if it might take that long, you know, inflation adjusted to rebound. We wouldn't be able to or want to uh, because it would have been cash negative. So to me, that's the big difference, right? I know my mortgage will pay down if I'm cash positive. I can just ride it out. But when we get to a situation like that, that's when I start looking at the economic forces and saying, I have no idea what Justin Trudeau will do. I have no idea what Doug Ford will do, what our economic policy will be. But what I do know is that I don't have that time horizon. So I'm going to take what I do understand here and I'm going to make an educated decision. And that's all we can really do, right? I don't, it's not that I want to be right, but I have, you have to use logic and reason to make, the, make these decisions at some point. And keep the emotion out of it too. I mean, at the end of the day, it's numbers, dollars, and cents that you, know, you really have to look at the situation and go, you know, does this make sense like you're talking about in terms of being cash positive, uh, cash flow positive, or you know, is this something where the, mar- the, the, the market rent is going to drop and you're not going to be able to make that, you know, make that mortgage payment with that cash? What do you do? And I think a lot of people, specifically because of what's happening with COVID, there's so many, so many things happening. There's a lot of emotional decisions being made. And I think people need to sort of take a breath, step back a little bit and just say, hey, like, let's look at this from a numbers you know, perspective make a decision. You think most people make decisions emotionally, like especially right now, like are, are most of the, the major decisions in their lives being made emotionally? I think throughout someone's life, I would say a majority of decisions are probably made more emotionally than a level headed. And, you know, if it's a dollars and cents, you know, if someone's looking at a job as an example, and they're, they're, they're considering all the factors you know, I think at the end of the day, obviously the, the salary, the money makes sense, but there's a lot of other factors that go into it and, and people's emotions get in. It's maybe closer to their kid's school or, you know, they don't have to drive as far or whatever the situation is. Um, emotions play a huge role. If it's something that you can control, I think it's something you become a lot more savvy at with investing and with, you know, many things. Yeah, I do. I do try to be unemotional about real estate, but I think we all have that little soft spot. Like I have those, those properties that I uh, worked so hard on and, you know, to make them what they were and, and the numbers just, 
like for instance, my return on equity isn't that great on one of my student rentals because it's worth uh, a, a level of, of price point that the bank isn't going to give me anywhere near it. And it would make more sense for me to get rid of that and, and probably put it into something else, smaller, lower price stuff that cash flows better. Um, but it's hard for me to you know, just say, okay, I'm going to let this one go. Um, obviously, we all have that in us, but you know, we've got to find, strike that delicate balance, right? It is. And I mean, I've dealt with that with, with properties that I've flipped. You're like, hey, this actually is really nice. Like, do I really want to? You Maybe know, I should live here. Yeah. <laughs> do I really want to get out of this one? But I think everybody's guilty of it, and not that that's a bad thing. I think it, you know, it's just a matter of can you look at you know whatever the the situation is and just make an educated decision based on the variables that are presented. And yeah, 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 absolutely. And yeah, so obviously, everyone listening, watching. Uh, you know, this is a little bit different for a type of episode that I'll do. Uh, but again, I just really like, you know, Ken, you're, you're very aware of what's, what's going on in the market. I thought this would be a cool episode. I want to shift gears a little bit. Tell me your thoughts about the current lockdown situation. Um, I know you do have some strong opinions and I share a lot of those opinions with you. Reason your way through it. What's going on? What do you think should be happening versus what is? Yeah. I don't think we've experienced something like this that has affected every single country before ever. Obviously, we've had world wars and things like that, but you know, this is something obviously in the present that we're going through. And not to compare to world wars, those are extremely tragic. I think that um, you know, there's a there's so many things going on, and I think a lot of the public is extremely frustrated with the changing um, direction almost daily from our governments around the world. But if we we'll talk specifically, and we'll talk locally, you know. I think that, I think one of the main frustrations I've had is that the science doesn't change. The science is the science, um, and and to have uh, our our lead doctors and and politicians making, I'm going to say uninformed decisions back in uh, February, March, and April, that led to us um, basically shutting down our economy and not protecting the most vulnerable, who make up eighty ninety percent of the deaths now. Um, which is is tragic and extremely unfortunate. And then to really kind of justify where we're at today, um, I think they're now trying to overcompensate for what, you know, is really ramped up testing is creating more cases where the reality is back in March and April when they were testing between 12 and 15,000 people a day, we were getting, you know, 500 to 700 cases, which is very similar to what we're getting today. We're doing 40 to 50,000. I saw that. I cases. pulled up that chart the other day. Yeah. So, so back in March in Ontario, we were doing about four to 5,000 per day. Um, and that was when we were having like 173 deaths a day, like yeah. crazy. Uh, now we're doing like, yeah, like you said, 45,000 to 50,000 tests a day. And we're, we're at like a 10 death consistent plateau, 10 or less. Um, you know, we're at a point where our suicide rate in Canada is higher than uh, the amount that are dying from this. And that's not to diminish it. Um, but I, I feel that there isn't a lot of balance in the decision making. I actually created a YouTube channel called Balanced Insights uh, to just like make videos talking about this stuff because I know it's not real estate and we're not going to spend all day, all day talking about this, but it does affect everybody. And like you said, we've never had something that affects the whole world this way. Um, I feel like we're at a, a, a point of a, kind of a tipping point of desperation in that it doesn't seem like public officials are responding to reason, constitution. Um, and science. They're, 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 they're asking us to follow them on faith. And um, I'm sorry, I don't have faith in my government. Never have. <laughs> they're accountable to us because we're the people, right? They're for us, by us. So um, I think now more than ever, our civic duty 
has become this. It, it's, never, it's never been so apparent that we have one and that most people aren't really doing it. And that's not to poo-poo anyone listening to this. I know most of the people listening and watching here actually are paying quite a bit of attention uh, and, and see or, or know something's uh, not quite on and not quite right. Um, and I've, I've had to overcome too. I wasn't nearly as engaged initially, but now I look at it, I'm like, and I don't think anyone needs to hear this. Like, you know, Ken, you obviously do it more than any of us. Uh, you know everything going on. And um, because of that, I think that you've influenced a lot of people to speak up and say, hey, there's something not quite right about the way this is being handled. Um, you know, our death rate has stayed, you know, stayed completely flat since July. Yet cases are spiking because we're testing way more. Uh, we have a test that you, you posted some stuff saying that there had been, um, well, I even saw it, the Ontario Health, what was it? Ontario, Ontario Health, Health Ministry, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, she, she said 50% false positives. Yeah. 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 Well, they're wanting to not test uh, in rural areas that don't have any um, actual positive tests because they know if they do test that there's going to be, they've said, the government has come out and said up to 50% of these PCR tests are flagging as false positive. Now, Tam yesterday changed the narrative from false positive to say false negative. Um, and so I agree with, with what you're saying. You know, I think all anybody that is looking to be informed is asking is to just be open and honest with yeah, us. Yeah, be honest. Let us have a balanced, yeah. let, let's have a balanced version of the story. Let's talk about why deaths and cases are not matching. Let's try and explain that. We should have our, gov- our government officials in a reasonable government would be saying, hey, this is what we thought. We're looking at our data. It doesn't support. We were thinking about locking you all back down. But hey, there's something not quite right here. Maybe there's something off with our test. I mean, that would be the reasonable thing to question when you look at the data. And for those curious, want to see that, um, look up my YouTube channel, Balanced Insights. And I do post videos there. Not real estate related, but if you're interested in that, you can uh, you can do that. This is the only uh, episode. I mean, of course, I've done intros where we where I've talked about about this stuff, um, but I do think it's really important that um, the average person really start uh, queuing in here and voicing their opinion and speaking up for what they believe in because there's something not quite right. And that's that's just from my history of asking questions. Always been a curious person. Um, I call BS when I see BS. I see a lot of BS these days. I, I agree, and I, I also think too. You know, I. You get labeled a conspiracy theorist or you get labeled whatever term or aspect you get labeled when you push against the narrative to say, but wait a minute, let's have a reasonable discussion here about what's actually going on. I'm in a a ton, like, uh, I don't know, 40 or 50 different private DMs on various social platforms with various people. I like getting every type of, uh, of opinion. I'll form my own from getting everybody else's. Um, I feel that's how you can basically become more educated. And my opinion isn't, I'm not here to preach, not here on this podcast specifically, but I'm not here to preach that my opinion is always right because it isn't. Um, and that's why it's an opinion. It's not obviously fact or anything, but I think the reality is, um, that with COVID it, it's a very real virus. Uh, it, it, I personally believe I had it. I can't wait to get a blood test done to go back and see if I have antibodies for it. Back in February, it was the worst experience I've had in my life. I, I was on my couch for four days. I'm fairly healthy. I take care of myself. I was playing hockey five times a week. I eat half decent. Um, and this thing put me on my couch for four days. I could knock it up. If it wasn't COVID, it was the worst flu I've ever had. Um, but all the symptoms 
that are related to COVID is is what I had. So one one can assume, but but you recover. And I think what's happening is um, the government isn't talking about our health. The government isn't talking about things that we can do to improve our health. In fact, many doctors are being um, shut out and discredited for coming out and saying and talking about therapeutics and talking about what has been, you know, happening to not curb the virus, but really now they're saying curb it. I personally don't think there's going to be a vaccine available anytime soon. Well, and even if there was, um, the, the idea of long-term safety testing requires a long-term to pass. Um, and that's the responsible thing, right? To have long-term safety testing, have a control group, see what goes wrong with the people who took it versus the people who didn't, um, so that we can you know, know that this is safe. And I'm all for being able to weigh the risks and the benefits and make, a, make an informed decision. And I think people are, they deserve that. So I never thought that was a reasonable plan. And that was the thing, like people who were listening to this podcast back in March, you heard me say, I'm like, what, why are we shutting down? What's the end game? We can't just shut down until we have a cure. Like that's unreasonable uh, with the level of debt that we have. Like this is, this is bankrupting people. For the most part, people are getting a check from the government, but that will bankrupt us in the long run when taxes stifle our economy. And they say, well, looks like the only uh, solution is government control and socialism. Um, you know, and they're, they're pushing universal basic income. You know, it's the if you want to push socialist agenda, breaking the current system will help you. That's just a notion. That's not me saying that's what's happening. But if that were something that there was a political agenda, this would be a perfect way to usher something like that in. Who knows? Who knows if that's what's happening? But at the end of the day, I think that, like you said, it's it's about asking questions. I don't pretend to know what exactly is going on. All I can do is ask questions and say, hey, that, that doesn't add up. Well, wait a minute. Here's my opinion, but this doesn't add up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of politics at play too. I mean, the teachers, teachers unions right now are on a huge barrage against the Ford government. I think the Ford government has failed terribly at the response of this. Yeah. They're not, they're not a conservative government. No. No. And, um, you know, there, there, there's been a lot of missteps throughout this entire thing. Now, you know, we've never really experienced something like this. So on all aspects of government, I'm not necessarily going to put 100% of the blame of anything COVID-related on them. I think there's a lot of cogs in the wheel that are kind of moving around and things are happening. So, um, but, but at the end of the day, and this has been my biggest gripe, is the policies and decisions they make affect every single person. I don't understand, you know, the, I guess the, the hardest part with this for me has been if hospitalizations aren't going up and if deaths are flatlined which they have been for a month and a half now extremely flatlined even longer right like well yeah you're right since since early july right yeah pretty much we're we're pushing two months now for sure yeah why is there such a, a, a you know a change to the narrative that as we test more and as the cases hover around one and a half percent per test per the amount of tests so so one positive per hundred tests yeah okay um why are we why are we freaking out? Why is the government really wanting to uh to change sort of what has been working? Now, if we were starting to see massive spikes in deaths and massive spikes in hospitalizations, let me tell you something, and I don't think a lot of people understand this. Burlington brought in a COVID tent. They spent between three and five million dollars from the sources that I have. Not it hasn't been used one time. Yeah, there's just weeds growing around it. It hasn't been used one time. Yeah. Now, 
I'm all for being prepared. Yeah, I, I think it was it was you know the safety first thing or, or better safe than sorry. Sometimes that's the right response. Can't really fault him for that. And I'm and I'm totally fine with that. But now looking back, we have to use the knowledge and data that we have today. Right. Looking back yeah. and going, okay, we don't need to do what we did. You know, we don't have to yeah. get to that extreme. Now, I'm not I'm not against if if things get out of control. Yeah, of that, course. That we we change the narrative. Yeah. I'm fine with that. But I feel like uh, the narrative is already when Ford came out and said, "We know we're in the second wave, and we know it's going to no, be more be complicated and more this or that." I'm going based on what? I couldn't believe that. I yeah. couldn't believe he said that. How do you know? Based on what? Based on the fact that you're testing way more. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it is cold and flu season. We've had the Ontario health minister said uh, that it can trigger false positives. You got to add all that up and say, well, false positives aren't off the table. So, so when you see one, one thing that used to have a correlation with the other no longer have a correlation, we've got to ask that question. And, uh, and a lot of people are going to, you know, maybe hear this and think, well, that's not really my place. Like, you know, we, we let the government handle that. Um, if you know me and you listen to me much, um, you'll know, like, I, I believe in holding our government accountable. And I just, I, why is it that you and I, who record videos from our house and post them on Facebook sometimes, um, can think that way and ask those questions, but those questions aren't being discussed. We're just having a discussion. We're not trying to make a hard conclusion here, but it just, it doesn't add up to me. I don't feel that it's appropriate anymore. I, I, I never believed that they had an end game. I still don't. Uh, not a reasonable one. Maybe they think they do. Uh, but, you know, we're just going to wear you know, masks for the next three well, years. The narrative has changed to long-term effects. This is from, uh, I, I, I don't know, I'm talking to 10 or 12 scientists, a bunch of doctors, a bunch of nurses. The narrative now is that we have to be super cautious with this virus because we don't know the long-term effects of what it's going to do to our lungs and heart is really what the narrative so is So if you get at. sick with it, may, what, what may persist yep. into the future. And you yeah. may have you know, long-term issues and all this stuff. And, and I'm fine with thinking that way. We just can't live our life that way. We can't live our life based on what ifs. We have to live our life based on what is actually happening you know, today. Can we be prepared and can we hedge our bets? Sure. I think we should. I think we should be extremely smart with how we go forward. We should be locking down our seniors. We should be locking down our long-term care facilities where 80 plus percent of the deaths have happened. You know, Sweden, we've, we've talked about this. It's been talked about. Sweden, you know, is hailed as having their economy and their country open. They did some minor restrictions. Uh, and they're also talked about from um, in political conversations that they did they're one of the worst in, in the European, over in, in Europe and in that area uh, for having deaths per million. The problem is they didn't lock down their seniors. And their seniors over there, long-term care facilities, people go to long-term care facilities basically in the last year of their life. Uh, a majority of the under 6,000 deaths in Sweden were people over the age of 80. And so if we, I'm not saying every life matters. I'm not saying that if we eliminate those lives, but if we take those um, circumstance that that circumstance out of the equation, they have one of the lowest death rates and right. didn't close down one time. Right. So yeah. I'm not saying they did it the right way. What I'm saying is, but, is but that we can learn from them. Most importantly, we can learn 100%. from them. Like we can take what they didn't do right, and now let's let's work on something in Canada. Let, like let's actually have an open discussion of what our actual plan is. Yep. And I know everybody's busy. Everybody's got work. They're they're concerned that their kids are are you know having a hard time at school. So many people do not have the time to even spend thinking about this. And I get it. Um, unfortunately, somebody's got to, and I think we all got to find a way to 
to make ourselves heard because i've emailed my mp no response uh you know it, it seems like the only way we're gonna get any any sort of attraction or attention is is to make a lot of noise i think so i think the reality though is is that if you don't think about it and don't talk about it you're not going to have an impact on the decisions that are being made like you're talking yeah. about and so it's going to affect you one way or another you may have to go to work to pay your bills but you may not have a job in six weeks yeah if certain trends happen and things mm-hmm. evolve i think the thing we can conclude is that uh, you know 400 billion dollars uh this year we don't really have the ability to do that again next year and the year after um that's why this lockdown solution doesn't work the one size fits all let's lock everybody in their house it's not a reasonable response knowing full well uh, and i haven't done this these studies man i do a lot of studying and research but the study correlation between poverty and and massive government spending and debt um and death lower quality of life there is a correlation there i don't know the exact correlation but there are implications to this there's going to be suicide implications so we do need to take a serious look at this i know this is a departure from real estate talk but we're actually going to talk some real estate right after this i really do think that you know the point of this episode why i wanted to have you on and talk about this is is so that we could really dig into the weeds about what people need to think about here and hopefully you know i don't know what exactly we can do i know there's a lot of protests going on people are protesting although the media is not covering it we're going to have to find ways to get our voices heard and, and say hey you know what we demand accountability from our government we don't we demand science and proof and peer-reviewed research and studies not a one-sided biased media that just goes along with whatever trudeau and ford said not an easy fix where we are i don't think it's an easy fix it's not and and um we'll 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 end the discussion on on covid for that i I do want to say you know the numbers is like 375 billion now they're talking 400 numbers close to 500 they aren't collecting the tax revenue that all of these companies would be paying into the government coffers. And so we're talking tens of billions of dollars over the last six to eight months of tax revenue that is not coming in because companies aren't operating at a fraction of the capacity that they should be operating at. Um, And so when it comes to uh, everybody watching, I think it's important to understand that there could be some changes to the tax law to recoup some of these, these, you know, these losses. And so I think it's relevant. One of the reasons why I think everybody should have an ear on this and eye on this is that it could impact your bottom line if they start looking at investment real estate and going, how can we get more money from people who are investing? People who are, you know, do we start taxing? And I know it's got, it's made the rounds and I kind They've of- They've already talked capital gains. At, capital gains uh, in the yeah. house. I believe if the government could, they probably would. It's a, the most simplest way to recoup literally billions of dollars because our real estate market thrives uh, on and, and people are coming and going. Um, so there's a lot of impact that COVID is having mentally, physically, but also on everybody's wallet, not just directly your job, but specifically outside of that you know the the investment money you're putting in got to be a little bit careful what's coming yeah. because the narrative could change that's that's the scary part and just uh I'll, I'll say my closing piece here is is that we have the illusion that everything's fine now this is an illusion things are not fine it is not fine to have most companies taking money from the government taking wage subsidies and they they're you know smiling their faces behind their mask you can't really tell but you, you feel like they can because you see the laugh lines on their eyes uh <laughs> yeah yeah my joke um you know so you you uh you think everything's fine but we're bleeding and and it's fiscally fiscally irresponsible it doesn't work there there's no way out of it and then the fear is we have we have economic levers 
And those, they're the way that we stimulate the economy. You touched on it. Interest rates are one of them. Our Bank of Canada can drop interest rates to make our economy grow. I'm sure our economy is growing right now, not at previous levels, but it is growing, um, especially because it was at a very low point. It just went to a very low, low quarter in, in the second quarter there. So uh, relative to the second quarter, we've grown. Now, we can stimulate that growth to a certain degree, but it's probably going to recover to our previous levels if we fully reopen. But now we're going to have this added burden that the government needs to service a greater debt. So either they continue to go into greater and greater debt by paying interest with more principal and taking out more debt to pay the interest, or they tax us more. Well, taxation is a lever to stimulate an economy. If you want, like you saw what Trump did in the US, he lowered taxes and they had the greatest boom of their economy ever. Um, if, we, if we raise our taxes, our economy, which never really fully recovered from 2008, we bear, we've had lower interest rates for the entire period, but our growth never took off, which is why interest rates never really climbed much. Because when they, when they want to rein growth back in to stifle inflation, they raise interest rates. Well, they didn't do that because we never really achieved the growth. And there's a rabbit hole I could go down there. I don't actually think we were having economic growth. I think that they were sort of fudging the inflation number because real GDP is adjusted for inflation. And I think if we had a true figure on real GDP, I think that we would probably find out we weren't really growing at all. I agree with you. So now when you're going to raise taxes in an economy that could barely grow, in a debt-riddled economy that could barely grow, and we're going to stack on $400 billion in debt and then do it again the next year, this is a death spiral. Not to frighten people. I don't mean to frighten you, but we do need to stop it. We just need to stop. Yeah, and I, I, I encourage everybody to go look at what's happening in California right now. California is a perfect example of what Canada could turn out to be in the sense of um, they've extended lockdowns. Um, I would say that uh, there are people, not I would say, I know there are people leaving by the hundreds and thousands every single day and month. Uh, and these people are people that have money, that pay taxes, that um, are looking around and going, the government is taxing everything like crazy. In California, specifically in different um cities there's different tax laws very like localized tax laws uh to open up a business and start a business in specific cities is thousands of dollars literally to just put your business card out there um so people are going why are we doing this when we can go to texas we can just go down the road and you know and, and basically pay a fraction of the tax the homelessness in california is out of control and you know, there, there's just so many things politically that are happening, obviously in the States, but California specifically is very close to what Canada is in the sense of how we run our country. Um, and as I look at California, I'm starting to see the similar trends with how uh, a lot of companies are looking at this and going, why are we spending the money we're spending here when we can move operations and go somewhere else, pick a place yeah. and take a bunch of jobs with us? Um, and it, it, it's starting to get a little bit uneasy. I, we're not there, but, uh, it, it's trending in that direction. And California has massive debt. You know, look, we printed $400 billion out of thin air. Where's well, that yeah. money tied to? Yeah, we printed it, but we sell our debt. So, so somebody, somebody bought treasury bills and ultimately we're, uh, we're paying interest on that. To, All we're to, doing to is adding countries. 100%. Yeah. We're, we're, and so that's what, that's what I'm trying to say is that we're, we're, you know, we're basically, there's, that debt creation is is really just an interest check that we write every month to somebody else. And what do we got for that now? We didn't increase our healthcare system. We didn't create, really, we didn't create more jobs. All we did was give healthy people a check to stay at home and companies, um, you know, a small loan to try and keep things going. So I'm, I'm at a crossroads right now as to where we're going to end up in the next two to three years. 
short term, it looks like everything is going to be okay. But the long-term effects of this um, could have some devastating, and I'm not here to fear monger or say that things are going to get crazy, but we could, if we don't try to change what we're doing here, uh, and then end up in some pretty tough situations economically. Well, I'm always uh, honest as I can be with my audience. Uh, if universal basic income comes to Canada, Andrew Hines will be leaving Canada. I will be on the same plane or train as you. Yeah, uh, wealthy people, and I'm not referring to myself as wealthy, but you brought it up. You start taxing wealthy more. They say, "Why am I here? Let's get out." Um, we we have to we do have to take a stand against this. This is uh you know there's a, I'm all for helping people who are disadvantaged. I mean, I give this podcast away for free. <laughs> people who are disadvantaged can can listen to this podcast. We'll start with nothing. Start with no credit. Find a JV and go out there and make something. That's the way I think of helping. I think that you help by teaching a man to fish or a woman. <laughs> you don't give him a fish. You teach him to fish. Um, and, and that's the mentality we need to take in Canada. We need to, get, we need to back ourselves out of this. And, and hopefully, before it's too late. I think we're still, like, we started off in a great position. We had a very low uh, debt relative to our, our GDP. But that's changing rapidly. So we, we do have to get a little, a little smarter about how we're handling this. Stop pretending like everything's fine, because everything is not fine. We, we, uh, that's, that's, that's the main thing. But anyways, I want to shift gears, because you do do some, uh, some flipping. And I want to I talk a little bit about that. Can you tell me about a recent deal? Is something here in Burlington? Uh, that you flipped like what'd you buy it for yeah so um let's we can discuss a few the the last few that have been uh all of them have been successful i i there's lots of ways you can set up jvs um and partnerships so these are jv flips yep okay so uh i have a group of investors that are have money sitting around that they're looking at let's get in and out and something obviously in you know four to six months you want to get it working yeah i bring a real estate so the, the advantage with me is i'm a real estate agent 12 years in the market uh i'm very boutique i work friends and family um i'm not out there trying to be the next largest agent in the world um real estate and construction get pretty much equal time uh, and i have a partner in my construction business so uh, i'm able to my time is valuable and I'm able to use that time appropriately. Looking at the flips, uh, seeing opportunities as a real estate agent, either before or just as they hit the market, um, able to get in and offer investors opportunity. What I do with my investors is 50-50. So uh, the investor fronts the money, the investor fronts the rental costs. I do the reno free, not free, but I do the reno with no added costs. Everything is at my cost. Okay. I buy the property and sell the property commission-free. So everything is literally spent 50-50 in terms of um, I handle all the work and contribute my commission costs. So you just, do you just bill like a basic cost for your time too? No. Or, or you're not hands on the tools anyway? No, I'm not hands on the tools, but, but uh, my time is built into the end profit. Okay. So your time is, but, but if you have to hire people on the site, anyone doing physical work, they're all paid at cost. 100%. Yeah. yeah. The okay. subtrades, there's zero markup. Yeah. Um, and so the reason why I do that is there's a vested interest in me for them to get it done as quick as possible. And I'm not there. I'm not making money as time goes. My, my profit comes at the end with the investor. Um, some some uh, guys that I know uh, and women, but um, they are, are only giving a small percentage of interest to the investor for the money. Not me. It's 50-50. And so investors with me make a significantly amount, significant amount more money with me because I'm willing to give 50% of the profits. And we're looking at deals that we're doing 100, 
plus thousand dollars in profit in profit i won't look at a consistent thing yeah so so you know you're gonna get 100 worst case it's worst case Yeah. yeah um i haven't had one that has done less well, and that makes sense because I look at the amount of profit I need to get out of a deal is needs to directly relate to how much I've put in. What am I buying for? What's my asset price? How much money is at risk? And risk needs to match reward, <laughs> right? So, so with a small little property, uh, you know, I might be okay with less. But I mean, also for your time too, right? Listen, the little properties that are two hundred thousand that you know I think are going to be a quick in and out are never usually quick in and out. I'm not a lipstick kind of guy. I don't want to just go in and do laminate floors over top of the existing and, you know, try and fresh coat the old kitchen that's there and try and, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just not my niche. It's not what I'm, yeah. that's not what I do. Um, I would rather go in and do a renovation properly, make sure that all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed. And that when I hand the keys over to that new owner, there's pride of what I've done there. Uh, you know, I get calls still from uh, previous clients that I've, that are weren't my client. I just flipped the property. They used another agent to buy. We listed it. They use another agent and they'll call me later or message me through Instagram or through Facebook. We love this, blah, 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 blah. To me, job well done. That to me is like pride of, you know, you take pride in what you do. And that to me is something that, you know, we can put a stamp on and say that that was a great, you know, so it's not, for me, it's not just about the money. Money's great. Um, but the ability to go in and do something quickly, efficiently, but do a great job is extremely important. And the investors getting their money out. Yeah, it keeps the invest. I believe in that too. Like the win, win, win. Um, I want everybody involved in every transaction I, I'm involved in to win. And uh, there are a lot of industries out there. There are things I've done in my past where I didn't feel that way. And I, I, I needed to make a change. And maybe it was just, you know, the, the client was winning and I wasn't. You know, you, you need to adjust it so that everybody can. Uh, and I like that approach. And there's something very satisfying when you create something that somebody else loves, right? And you can always remember, hey, I, I made that one. I, uh, I still prefer that I still own those things and I can rent them out and the tenant can love it. And then yep. I get it back. <laughs> but- Listen, there's, and there's tons of different strategies. And I think that the right circumstances um, and, and the right investor partner, all that stuff makes sense, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. So, so give me an example price point. Like, what would you have bought for? Like, would you be buying like a thousand square foot bungalow in Burlington, something like yeah, that? Yeah. So, um, in uh, South Burlington, between Walker's Line uh, and Guelph Line, north of Spruce, uh, has been a good area for me. Um, I know that neighborhood well. Yeah, just just east of Roseland. Um, and so that, that's been a good pocket. Uh, so basically like I'll go a deal, uh, a year or so, maybe about a year and a half ago, bought it for five fifty. It needed, uh, I think we put seventy five, eighty thousand $80,000 into that property. Including carrying costs? Uh, so we were about a hundred, so that was our rental cost. We were about a hundred grand total in carrying costs, closing costs. Okay. Um, so we went for six fifty. We sold it for just under $800,000. Um, so we ended up pulling about 110, 120 grand when it was all said and done, had to pay out commission to the buyer right. side. So 800,000 is what you sold for? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, that's not, that's not bad. And how long did it take you? We're two months. Um, it was a six month run or sorry, six week reno with another week or so of, we did some extra things. There were some mold issues we had to take care of things that were kind did of you have to do like a proper abatement. Yeah. Yeah. So that added another about 4,500 bucks to our, our cost too. 
Um, so we allow, we have allowances for that to make sure, you know, when mm-hmm. we walk through, when I walk through properties, um, and I do this with a lot, so I work with a lot of real estate agents, um, and investors, uh, clients are, buyers are looking to buy, uh, sorry to renovate. And so I will go through and do a mini inspection with them while, because I'm trying to figure out what I'm working with. So they actually get uh, a mini, I don't call it an inspection. I'm not an inspector, don't mind license for that. But I go and check everything from windows, roof, attic, um, the foundation, everything. Um, and I, part of my quote, I'll give them a mini detailed report as to what I saw, what I found. And it's live too. So when I'm walking through with the buyer, hey, take a look at this. You know, this is probably going to cost you a couple grand if you have to, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we adjust and allow for all of those things ahead of time. So I kind of knew there was going to be some molds or possibly right, some mold issues. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's the thing about knowing your worst case, right? You, you have a feel for, okay, the what ifs, you know, these things might come up, they'll all be under this much. And, you know, what are the odds of getting three things like that? Um, probably not going to happen. So then you, you make your educated uh, decision based on that. So exactly. um, do you have your own employees or are they all subbed? Uh, we've got, so I was up to 10, um, I was up to 11 employees. We're down to three. Um, and specifically because we've streamlined our business to just be subcontractors now. Um, we found efficiency, uh, makes sense when guys are and girls are in and out and they want to get paid. They want to do a good job. They keep coming yeah. back and work for us. So, so do you have your own drywall crew that you hire? Or are they more multi-purpose, um, you know, general, more general, uh, tradespeople? Uh, so like our plumber, electrician, roofer, window guy, all the main trades obviously are our main trades. I have a couple of, uh, so my partner's an onsite GC, so he can do everything. So if you need odds and ends done, you bring in kind of like a multi-purpose, <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. I have a yeah. couple other guys like yeah, that. I have, yeah. I have a guy like that, that does a lot, a couple of guys like that, that do stuff for me. Um, but if I have like, say for instance, a whole house of drywall to do, I bring in a proper drywall, drywall company. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Up here, those prices are insane. It is. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, what? Three, four bucks a square foot. Um, yeah. And London, actually even in London, it's probably that now I've probably even more than that here yep. now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, Prices are going up and that going back to what we were saying, I think that that's why our market isn't really going to see much of a dip because as, once immigration starts again, it's going to push those prices back up. They're going to have to. People need a place to live. And if you can't buy new construction because it's too expensive, you buy resale. They drive each other's prices. So uh, just my take. Anyways, that was circling back to what we had talked about before. Um, Ken, anything you would want to um, leave our viewers and listeners with? Well, look, I think we've got um, some interesting uh things happening specifically with COVID, how it's going to affect our our fall uh which we're kind of in now our fall and winter markets real estate wise our economy there's a lot of unknowns uh and again it's not fear-mongering it's just more of an educated take on where are we going with everything and so i think as we start to go uh prepare for 2021 um be glad that 2020 is over um, it's been a good year for me business-wise, but um, I think the other thing too, we didn't touch on and, and we don't need to, but I think the presidential election in the States has a major impact in terms of just what's going to happen with our world. There's just been a lot of things happening, um, a lot of sort of unrest and uneasiness. And so I think once that's figured out, whatever direction it goes, I think we'll, we'll hopefully see some, uh, the, the United States sort of settle down a little bit. The United States drives our economy. To, to to some degree so oh hugely yeah they so I, hugely affect us i'm hoping that yeah. that kind of slows down a little bit and um yeah no i th- i think it, 
if anybody is has any questions, I know that you're in the construction industry as well. If anybody has any questions about anything local, by all means, uh, we'll get my details. And well, we should that. get you in the Greater Hamilton REI Meetup Group. Uh, do, yeah. you, do you work with um, other people, like, or do you just work work for your own projects? No, I'll, I'll work with other people. Um, and I'm just I'm starting to roll out a program for investors that if they are looking for uh, a GC, someone that's done that work. Like to do conversions uh, and yeah. stuff like that. Um, we I, have so many people that need that. So yeah. um, if you could get in our group and, you know, people are asking all the time, you know, every single week, somebody's like, hey, does anyone know how to sure. how to do basement conversions? Does there a GC, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, people all jump on it. But I know everyone's busy, right? So we need more people like that. Yep. Um, so by all means, I, I'll, uh, I'll shoot you the, the link to, to get into that group. Where can people reach you? Yeah. So uh, Facebook's probably the, the best place to to find me. Um, so it's literally my name. You can find me on Instagram, uh, KP Real Estate. My construction company is GF Construction. Um, I'm kind of everywhere. Yeah, you're. I don't know how you have time for it all. The amount of content you put out. Yeah, <laughs> I struggle with one video a week um, for the podcast, but uh, you know, Ken, I think it, I think every day you have multiple posts, and uh, and they're good. Like you know, you put out stuff that food for thought you know gets people thinking and i appreciate that and you know i I think we need more of that so thank you for doing that appreciate thank you for being here and uh yeah i'll uh we'll have to do this again and and we'll we'll dig into more what you're doing but i'm I'm hoping that uh some of the people in our group connect with you maybe you'll be able to help them do some of their uh their conversions and what have you maybe you can help me too appreciate the opportunity all right talk soon Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Just a friendly reminder that the kindest thing that you can do if you're enjoying this content is to share it with somebody that you think it could help. I don't have a big marketing budget for this podcast. Everything is word of mouth. So your sharing this content means everything. Thank you again. I'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.